0: I want to welcome you to the first edition of Dairy Science Digest and we have with us today Casey Havicus, and she comes to us from New York. Casey, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah, so thank you for having me Regan. I'm happy to chat with you today. So I grew up on a small tie stall farm in Eastern Ontario, Canada. And I pursued an undergraduate degree in animal science at Dalhousie University in Nova Scotia, where I started working for a dairy nutritionist and started to develop more of a passion for dairy science in general. So following my time there, I pursued graduate studies at the University of Guelph under the supervision of Dr. Trevor DeVries. And this is where I really narrowed my focus on transition cow nutrition and feeding behavior. So after I graduated from Guelph, I started in this role with Cornell University Cooperative Extension. So I am a dairy management specialist on the North Country Regional IG team.
0: Amazing. Very good. And, and Casey's joining us via Zoom. The software allows us to connect here remotely during the, the COVID situation. And, and we're going to be talking a little bit about her master's project that she did up in Canada, looking at the effects of feeding molasses to, to dry cows and specifically Zooming in on, on their diet and talking about the straw diet. Could you tell us more ab- about the treatments Uh, So in terms of the treatment
1: diet, so we added molasses at a rate of one kilo per cow per day to this high straw dry cow diet. So it was about um, 30% straw on a dry matter basis. And then the rest of the diet was corn silage and a dry cow pellet.
0: Okay, Casey, so that means one kilogram of dry matter in molasses is actually two kilograms as fed, which then equates to almost four and a half pounds on an as-fed basis. Correct that four pounds basis so that we all can wrap our head around it. I also wanted to clarify that the molasses treatment was only fed during the dry period. Y'all targeted a 45-day dry period and then tracked production records for the first four weeks of milk.
1: Yeah and during the dry period the cows on the control treatment, so the cows that did not have any molasses in their diet, had an average daily dry matter intake of about 13 kilos a day. And then the cows on the liquid feed diet had an average daily dry matter intake of about 15 kilos per day. So if I convert that to (laughs) the pounds system, I think it would be about uh, 26 pounds for the control diet and
0: then a little over 30 pounds for the liquid feed diet. Absolutely. And it was really fascinating. One of the uh, graphs that is in the paper looked at the quadratic intake really focusing or zooming in right prior to freshening. Can you talk a little bit about the interaction or what, what you guys saw as far as intake specifically in that week prior?
1: Yeah, so that was actually part of the inspiration behind this research. So we really wanted to try to focus on ways to perfect these Goldilocks diets or these controlled energy dry cow diets. So we know from past research that for every drop in intake that cows experience in the week leading up to calving, they're going to be at greater risk of experiencing ketosis and other metabolic diseases after calving. So we really wanted to try to capture high intakes across the dry period, but also really try to minimize that drop in intake in that week leading up to calving. So we were excited to see that cows on the molasses treatment actually were able to maintain more consistent intake as they approached calving. As you mentioned from the figure in the paper, it's really quite evident to see just um, how much higher their intake was in that week
0: leading up to calving. It's it's really fascinating, and I I know it wasn't necessarily studied, but you can just almost envision, looking at the dry matter intake graph, that that rumen is Full. It, it's not going to collapse. She's going to be ready to hit the ground running once she drops the calf and, and be able to consume that lactating ration. Her rumen's is going to be ready to go. So, to capture the metabolic status or level of ketosis in the research herd, I know your team collected some blood samples. Could you tell me a little bit about the beta hydroxybutyrates that you saw in the blood in the molasses fed herd versus the control?
1: Yeah, so we saw that right around day seven, the cows on the liquid feed treatment had lower beta-hydroxybutyrate levels compared to cows on the control treatment, and we hypothesized that this is because those cows were able to maintain that more consistent intake in the week leading up to calving. So while it wasn't a statistical difference at that day seven point, it is important to note there that the control cows had, on average, a maximum BHB reading of 1.2, whereas the liquid feed cows had a maximum average BHB reading of 1.0. So they didn't hit that mark of uh, where we define cows to be subclinically ketotic, which I think is a really important finding from this research.
0: Absolutely. Could you talk a little bit about the actual liquid feed and the composition of the molasses, zooming in on making sure that the DCAD is where it needs to be for the appropriate transitional success?
1: Yes, so molasses is naturally high in potassium, so the blend that we fed was a custom transition blend that was formulated by Liquid Feeds Incorporated. I believe the American counterpart to that is um, quality liquid feeds. I don't know all the details of what they exactly did to the blend, but I know that they acidified it to make it safe for dry cows and lowered the the decat on it so that dry cows, you know, weren't going to be affected
0: by the high potassium level. That plus cation from the potassium sure can wreck a transition window. So I'm glad to see acidifying. It was a great solution to ensure a negative decad. Awesome. And I guess one thing that we haven't really talked about, and I know that it didn't show a significant difference, but I, I do think it's noteworthy as you track the milk production data on the graph it's very evident that the the cows that receive the molasses product prior to freshening prior to to calving consistently produce more milk even though it's not quite statistically more milk it's definitely noteworthy can you talk a little bit about you know the fat correct milk or energy correct milk and maybe some thoughts around efficiencies or milk yield
1: Yes. So as you just mentioned, it wasn't statistical, but it's quite a substantial numerical increase for those cows fed the liquid feed, especially in terms of fat-corrected milk and energy-corrected milk. And I think that just comes down to those liquid feed cows being more efficient and having a rumen that was better adapted to the transition onto the lactating diet. You know, they had higher intake in the dry period and that consequently resulted in better health after calving. So I think all of those factors kind of played into that increased efficiency that we see for the energy-corrected milk and the fat-corrected milk.
0: Absolutely. She's such a complicated beast how all of these different parts and pieces are related. And we're recognizing that more and more Very good. And I I wonder, with the research having 20 cows on one treatment and 20 cows on the other, I wonder if maybe that herd size was just a little bit larger, if if those numerical differences would, if we'd start to maybe jump into the statistical significance, perhaps. Yeah, Um, exactly. Are there any thoughts for dairymen with boots on the ground when they're listening to this podcast and they're making determinations on whether or not they want to, add liquid feeds or molasses products to their transition Goldilocks diet, what are some thoughts, some take-homes that you'd like to speak directly to the dairyman today about?
1: That's another really good question.
0: So I guess at the
1: end of the day, I think molasses supplementation is a great strategy for transition cow feeding programs, and you mentioned some of the results, and you know, despite not seeing a milk production response, it like I mentioned, it was the numerical increase in milk yield and fat and energy energy corrected milk and we saw a health response after calving and we saw a rumen ph response after calving so i think the main takeaway from this research kind of goes back to the original integration behind this research and i think what we really need to focus on is to provide a diet to the dry cow that is difficult to sort so we want to try to minimize sorting we want to provide them with a diet that promotes intake while also limiting body condition gain So I think if adding molasses is something that you're financially able to do and you're in a point where, you know, that's a strategy that you can implement on your farm, I think that's really great. I think the results from this research kind of support that. However, if it's not something that you're able to do at this point in time, I think the main takeaway kind of goes back to the basics of this research. You really want to be providing cows with a diet that promotes intake while also limiting body condition gain at this point that's what i really want to highlight and i really want firms to take away from this this podcast episode or you know transition cow success is going to
0: be defined greatly by how you feed your cows in the dry period and that transition cow if she can get through that phase of her lactation, the man, everything just starts clicking right along. And so anything that we can do to to make that transition easier on her, be it a Goldilocks diet, be it addition of molasses, be it uh, cow comfort through that period, it, it will pay dividends and really support her in her subsequent lactation. Okay, guys, stay with me through this. I know you've already gotten some key points so far, but we're about ready to delve into some details associated with behavior around these Goldilocks diets and how that impacts her rumen health. Because let's be real, we know cows hate straw. For this last half, let's dive and delve into the, the nitty-gritty associated with um, maybe particle size and rumen pH and, and meal, meal sizes. What, it, what are your thoughts on those topics?
1: So as I mentioned, we really wanted to try to figure out a way to perfect these diets. We know from past research that from a physiological standpoint, these high straw dry cow diets work really great, and we see better metabolic health after calving. But from a behavioral standpoint, some issues arise when you consider that straw is one, bulky, so it can limit intake. And then two, cows just don't really like straw because it's not very palatable to them, and they're notorious sorters you know you have to ask yourself the question if the whole point of incorporating straw into these diets is to limit energy consumption but then the cow just turns around and sorts all the straw out and consumes all of the energy dense components what's the point of feeding in the first place
0: right
1: the first part of my graduate studies research looked at particle size of straw in these diets and we found that the one inch chop length that we fed was better than the four inch chop length that we fed so that's why we use that one inch chop length in the
0: molasses study that we're talking about now. Casey, how did you get it down to one inch? That's so fine. Yeah, we used um,
1: a hay buster. So we had someone come in and do it customly. You could also throw it in a tub grinder. I've seen farms do that and still get the particle size down. I would definitely recommend the tub grinder or having someone come in and do it custom.
0: Absolutely. And and so when you've got these particles very small and then you, you add the molasses, can you talk a little bit about the sorting factor and what some observations were similar and different with the treatment?
1: Mm-hmm. So we hypothesized that the molasses addition would actually make the particle distribution of the diets different. We expected that the molasses would help bind the smaller particles to the larger particles because that's what we've seen in the past when molasses was added to lactating diets so we actually did not see this with molasses added to a high straw dry cow diet which was a little bit surprising but again you know no one has really investigated how this might impact particle distribution so even though it wasn't what we hypothesized i think it's still valuable information
0: so it doesn't glue the particles together like we typically expect to see from molasses How about sorting? What happens to the fines?
1: In terms of sorting, we actually saw that cows on the molasses treatment sorted less against the long particles compared to cows on the control treatment. But what was even more surprising to see was that regardless of treatment, cows sorted against fine fraction, which is usually what cows sort in favor of, this is usually where all the, the goodies are, all of the grain components that cows usually try to find. Right, um, all so the candy. Surprised to see that, yeah, yeah, exactly. So that was, that was really surprising for us. And I think what we kind of boiled it down to is that this, this fraction was mostly straw finds because the straw was chopped so finely. And because we know that cows don't really like straw and we, we would think that cows don't really like dust, Um, They sorted against this fraction because it was mostly just straw
0: dust. I see. So Casey, I think one of the coolest things that you guys were able to identify in the data set around behavior was talking about learned behavior. So the behavior learned in the dry period and how it carries forward to the lactating period. Could you speak a little bit about those observations?
1: Another Interesting result that we found from this research and something that hasn't been investigated before. So one of the thoughts behind this research was that potentially feeding behavior in the dry period, or if they learn a feeding behavior in the dry period, they might be at greater risk of carrying that behavior over after calving. So some research done with calves has shown that if calves learn a behavior prior to a dietary change, they're gonna be more likely to carry that behavior over after that dietary change. So we kind of took that concept and applied it to this research. And I think it's really interesting to see that the cows that were fed the molasses in the dry period, even though they did sort against the long particles, um, they sorted to a lesser extent than cows in the control treatment. But what's really interesting is that after cows transitioned onto their lactating diet, those cows that were previously fed the molasses actually did not sort for or against those long particles whereas the cows in the control treatment continue to sort against them. Hmm. So I think there's some evidence here that supports the theory that if we provide a diet that promotes sorting and promotes undesirable feeding behaviors in the dry period, when the risk of, you know, acidosis and other metabolic disease, diseases is low, we're still kind of setting the cow up for failure once she transitions onto that lactating diet where the risk is high. Absolutely. So I really caution farmers and, and nutritionists, you know, to be providing a diet to that dry cow that's going to stimulate intake, but also stimulate desirable feeding behaviors
0: with no sorting yeah because the starch concentrations there in the in the lactation ration will definitely change up the rumen ph now i think something we haven't talked about quite yet is the rumen ph monitoring and could you talk a little bit about what you guys saw on the liquid feed diet in the dry cow and her rumen ph
1: Yeah. So we actually did see an increase in rumen pH for those liquid feed fed cows in the dry period, which was a little bit surprising, I guess. Um, We weren't expecting to see a response in the dry period, just given, you know, the rumen is relatively stable in the dry period anyways, just given the diet that they're fed. But we think that because molasses stimulates fiber degradation and promotes fiber digesting bacteria, we think that that is why those liquid feed cows ended up having a higher average rumen pH. Even more interesting is that week following calving, the cows on the liquid feed treatment were able to maintain relatively higher mean pH levels compared to the control cows.
0: Looking at the mean rumen pH graph and watching how the the molasses fed cattle not only have that higher rumen pH in the dry period, as she transitions onto that lactating, more robust TMR that tends to cause rumen pH to plummet, we can see that carryover effect where the rumen pH still maintains higher. And and it's just fascinating to see how what we can do prior to giving birth or prior to freshening, how it can have impacts. And and I wonder if it's just a, a summary of positive things that are occurring in the rumen by encouraging fiber degradation in the dry cow and making her just more successful during that transition period. And the numerical difference is maintained throughout the whole first month after calving, but statistically different for the first two weeks. And that's, that's huge. And I wonder um, if that could have an impact. Okay, Casey. So as we wrap up, could you give me some key takeaways that you'd like to share? My main takeaway from this is
1: to be providing, you know, your dry cows a diet that promotes metabolic health after calving and, you know, helps them set them up for success. So I think doing those three things, which are increasing dry matter intake, reducing sorting and reduced body condition gain. I think those are the three takeaways that will really help set the dry cow up for success. And um, again, I just want to thank Dr. Trevor DeVries for all of his help and guidance in facilitating this research. And none of this would be
0: available without him. So I owe a
1: big thank you to him.
0: Outstanding, very good, and and I thank you, Casey, for for taking time out of your day today to tell us a little bit about your project and and delve deep into that and and making sure that that transition dairy cows successful. So thank you thank very you. much. I appreciate thank you it. for
1: having me. It was great right. to chat with you.
0: How fun! I want to thank you for spending your time here with the very first edition of Dairy Science Digest, and. Encourage each and every one of you to reach out to me if you have any dairy questions. I hope to repeat these digests about once a month as the Journal of Dairy Science releases new content. We'll be posting them on Facebook until we find the most ideal podcast platform that you guys prefer. So with that, I guess this is Reagan Bluel from the University of Missouri Extension signing out.